So first of all, what is a, a good definition of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? What are we talking about? Here is one that I found. The belief that God's elect who believe in Jesus Christ are held secure by God's power despite sin and temptation. Their salvation will not be lost. Again, the belief that God's elect who believe in Jesus Christ are held secure by God's power despite sin and temptation. Their salvation will not be lost. The psalm I read, I suggested to you already, reflects a believer who is simply not yet in heaven in glory. It is a person who is a true believer, and the true believer knows about sin probably even more than before they became regenerate. Because we know what we have received, a free gift of grace through the love of God the Father expressed in the birth and suffering and death of His Son um, that we know and take sin and ought to take sin seriously. So the persevering saint is a person who does battle, who doesn't take things for granted. Um, we don't become uh, or allow complacency, uh, indifference, uh, to, um, to, 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 uh, to direct us and to form and shape us, um, but instead to persevere, um, to keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, namely Jesus Christ. So there are various scriptures that speak more specifically about um, the saint who is promised to persevere and who in fact does persevere. Um, I need to... Uh, share a few verses with you in that regard. Um, let's see. John 10. I'll start with John 5. John 5. Oops, John. John 5, 24. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Very solid promise there that the saints will persevere because the outcome has been promised and guaranteed by God himself. Then you have John 10, verse 28. 10, 28, where Jesus talks about him and the Father being one. Um... And um, the sheep hearing his voice, and I know them, that knowing again that we talked about earlier, that intimate knowing, that spiritual knowing, uh, not just intellectual knowing, but personal knowing. Um, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And then it says, I, I give them eternal life. And they, so it, it doesn't say I offer them eternal life. And you now make a decision. But I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Matthew 
turning back a little bit to Matthew 24, verse 13. I don't know if that's correct. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I looked at the previous verse. Um, Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So while the promise of the ultimate outcome is guaranteed by God's power, it doesn't mean that you and I have the, the opportunity to sort of take that for granted uh, because the call is very clear that the one who endures to the end will be saved. But the call to persevere is guaranteed and carried by the power of God, the promise of God. So let's uh, take a look at that a little bit more. Uh, I'm just going to basically summarize uh, what you find in those uh, statements in chapter uh, 17 that we read. There's basically three paragraphs there. So uh, as far as the first one is uh, concerned, um, they who uh, God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by the Spirit, his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly perse persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Um, not so much an uh, explanation here that you see as a declaration. Um, it's just uh, very bluntly saying that the saints, the elect of God, they will not um, fall away. It says, neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but they shall persevere therein to the end and thereby be eternally saved. Why is that? And that it explains very well and very succinctly. Um, accepted in the beloved, effectually called, and sanctified by his spirit. So those are the guarantees for you as a Christian to know that no matter what happens in my life, I'm responsible all along till the last breath I take for my thoughts, my words, my actions, but my salvation is secure. And it is kept secure because of Him, not because of my obedience, my performance. Isn't that wonderful? Yes? <laughs> I hope so. Um, you know, if you have any other um, conviction about this, pastorally, uh, pastors then you know, end up me, uh, having to deal with, with um, brothers and sisters in Christ, genuine believers who, um, who don't have assurance of salvation. Now, they don't have the assurance that the outcome of the pilgrimage is secure, is safe, it's guaranteed. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm on my way to see the Savior. It's guaranteed. And it is because I didn't make a decision. It's because God made a decision. And it's expressed in this way. 
I'm accepted in the beloved Christ. If you're accepted, it means you're reconciled. You are, by faith, united with Christ. That's an eternal union. It can't be true today and then undone tomorrow because you fall in sin. Um, you lack holiness. We are accepted in the beloved because we have been effectually called. The call that we talked about earlier is a call that is an effectual call on the elect, on the true child of God. We have been called effectually, called into the relationship by the driving power and grace and force of the Holy Spirit and therefore sanctified by His Spirit, sanctified in Christ that we have obtained His perfection, but also in the process of reaching glory, we are on our way to grow in our perfection, grow in our sanctification. We call that the difference between definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. The second paragraph, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, etc., etc. I'll just start to um, comment on, on the first uh, part of it. By the way, uh, context. Remember that the, um, uh, the, the Westminster uh, Assembly um, asse uh, assembled, so the Westminster Assembly met in the 40s of the 17th century. So about 80 years later, roughly, after the Synod of Dort. And so they have very full and complete awareness of the controversy that had already raged through the Netherlands mm. so that the outcome of that controversy laid down in the canons of Dort were then, of course, a very um, uh, profitable source uh, from which to draft the articles in the Westminster Standards because they are just seamlessly following one another um, and that has to be because of that reason. It's not like they were inventing the wheel you know, by having their own assemble, uh, assembly as if the other one had not happened and couldn't uh, inform them of how to think about these matters. So the perseverance of the saints um, was disputed by the Arminians, remonstrants, um, and also, of course, by the Roman Catholic Church. So neither the Roman Catholic Church nor the Remonstrants, the Arminians, today's evangelical, frankly speaking, who is not Reformed, um, they do not believe in the perseverance of the saints because you cannot uh, believe that there is such a thing because that would obviate or that would bypass, it would discourage a person from taking their free will seriously. And so therefore, at any given point, every given point in your spiritual sanctification, you need to continue to maintain your belief and to continue to decide that you will do right and not wrong and live for Christ and not the world. And so as long as you continue to decide that, then you will in the end receive your eternal reward. But it's for the Reformed, an unacceptable position because it compromises the sovereignty of grace. 
because you have a sense in which, yes, God provided salvation, God made salvation available to the sinner who believes, and then it is the belief, the sinner's choice to receive that gift. Acknowledged certainly as a free gift, but it is a free gift that requires the cooperation and the collaboration of the will of a person. And so the Reformed perspective has said, no, that is not glorifying to God because God alone is doing the work. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Remember that beautiful verse in Philippians chapter 1? I have to read that. Um, let's see, Philippians, right there. 1 verse 6. Um, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a work, a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the one who begins the good work in us sovereignly is also therefore the one who secures it, preserves it, because he empowers us to be preserved until the end. And so it is based not on free will, but again upon election. It's all in God's hand when he saves a sinner. Um, and that will of his is free, flowing from, uh, flows from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father. Um, that's what it depends upon. And then it goes on to extrapolate and say, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of, the, of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's why good works, for example, are never good works as if we do the good works that, they, that God finds acceptable. But our good works are made acceptable in the beloved by his perfection cleansing and purifying our quote-unquote good works. Um, and that's why the reformers in the Heidelberg Catechism emphasize the fact that good works have to be in agreement with God's word. So it's not a personal opinion that makes something a good work. Uh, I meant it sincerely, blah, 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 blah. But if it is in agreement with God's word, uh, that defines a good work. And then uh, the spirit is mentioned, the abiding of the spirit, um, and then of the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which arises all the certainty and infallibility thereof. So you see, basically, I wrote that down, seven, uh, seven, there's a sevenfold guarantee that is listed. You have, first of all, the immutable decree, decree of God in election. You have the merit and intercession of Christ our Lord. We have the abiding of the Holy Spirit. We have the intercession of our Savior in heaven uh, um, as our high priest. We have the abiding of the Holy Spirit. Say that twice. Oh, and then the seed of God within the elect and the nature of the covenant of grace. So those are the levels upon which we build our confidence that we will persevere till the end. The last point is um, 
very much uh, relevant as well and important, uh, the cost of taking sin lightly. So what happens when a Christian who confesses Christ does not acknowledge the reality of sin in his or her life? Um, you know, we have to know that we are vulnerable as Christians. We have our enemies to face. And the children learn that uh, at a young age in catechism class. But uh, who are the enemies that we face as believers in this world? One, come on, the world, two, the flesh, and three, yeah. Now, that's not just you giving the right answer to a catechism question, but it is uh, seriously true. These are real enemies that we face and encounter, and that make life sometimes so miserable for us because we are just struck with the fact that we have such lack yet of that holiness and perfection that we aspire toward, that we long to have. And um, what does it mention? There's another possibility of weakening in our faith, of becoming less effective in the service of God and his kingdom, when it says, when we neglect the means, when they neglect the means of their preservation. I interpret that to mean the means of grace that we typically talk about in Reformed circles. Um, the means of grace are the preaching of the word, the sacraments, and uh, in the Presbyterian side, we have also included uh, the means of prayer. So these are means that God says, use them. And you're a fool, putting it bluntly, if you dismiss that, if you think it's not important. You are very unwise if you don't read God's word on a day-to-day -day basis. You're not a wise follower of Jesus Christ if you do not faithfully and obediently partake of the sacraments. And um, if you're not a person of prayer, those need to be part and parcel of our, our, of our Christian living by which to remain strong and by which to persevere and by which we are as best an ambassador as we can be for as long as we shall live in this world um, instead of being um, disqualified or uh, by our worldliness or by carelessness, um, uh, invite then the consequences of that approach. And what are they? Well, they are clearly stated. If we um, neglect the means of grace, fall into grievous sins, believers certainly can do that, can't they? We always have the biblical examples of uh, Abraham, not Abraham uh, is one of them, <laughs> um, Abram, David, uh, Noah, uh, Lot, uh, all these people that uh, you know, uh, are, were capable of, of grievous sin. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and then it says, of the elect, and this separates us from the other perspective, uh, that the elect can and will uh, fall into sin, uh, potentially anyway, um, and that they are grievous sins, but it is for a time. The true believer will not die in their sins. We on the outside may not know this, but God knows, and that's enough. But the true believer will not continue in that sin, but repent of it like David did. And um, if we don't, and David experienced this as well, it says, whereby they incur God's displeasure. David incurred God's displeasure, didn't he? 
Who was there to tell him that? Nathan. Nathan the prophet. And um, it was not a happy message for David to be confronted with what he knew very well to be right and true and convicting. And he came to that point because he's a true believer, a true elect person, will eventually, sooner or later, repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we don't, it says we incur God's displeasure. So if you say that you're a believer, you say you're in the covenant, you say that you've made you know, your profession of Christ, and then you go on and you don't take sin as seriously, uh, you can expect God's displeasure. God does not uh, tie his own hands by giving us the free gift of salvation uh, to uh, not show his displeasure on you when you take sin um, lightly. But always know that since your election flows from that one pure source, God's love, then know that when you experience his displeasure, sometimes you can't know if that is displeasure because of sin or not, but if you experience God's displeasure of known sin to you, then also know that that is God's grace on you because the ones he loves, he disciplines. God holds on to you. You're beloved, in, you're kept in the beloved. You're kept, you're preserved. As the Holy Spirit allows us to make our stupid and foolish mistakes and errors, He is ever faithful and He brings us to the point of repentance. But if we don't, we can not only incur that displeasure, we can um, grieve the Holy Spirit and we can come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts. Have your heart hardened and your conscience is wounded and you can cause by your indifference to sin hurt and scandalize others. Think about that as well. As parents, uh, as just people in general, as followers of Christ, that we can become a stumbling block when we don't take sin seriously in our own lives. We can cause our children to stumble. We can cause our spouse to stumble. We can cause others in the church of Jesus Christ to stumble because we don't take sin seriously. So there's a great calling here, isn't there? To not only rejoice in your election, rejoice in the fact that you will persevere, my friend, brother and sister in Christ, you will persevere. But not because you are persevering in your strength, but it is because of the one who enables you, us to persevere and in that enabling it includes that he calls us to that awareness that we need to confess our sins and that we need to trust in Christ alone ever for the complete forgiveness of all our sins and then await the glory that is still before us. Amen. Are there any brief questions? Any comments? And then sing 118a. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Thank you, Father, that our salvation and the outcome of our 
walk with you is secure. It is anchored in the foundation of yourself, of your mighty acts of redemption, of who you are in yourself, uh, in your holiness and in your perfection. Lord, we thank you that you do not let it depend on anything in us, Lord, but you, sovereign Lord, you mold us and you shape us and you rebuke us. Uh, you use your word in that regard for teaching, rebuking and correction in training and righteousness so that we as your people will be useful instruments in your hands while we live in this world. Lord, thank you for this time. Will you hear our prayer for Jesus' sake? Amen.